Welcome back. We're so glad you have joined us in the last leg of our journey in the journal of Jesus. Here we are to spend time one more time together. Now this afternoon, by the way, is the bonus. This afternoon is not part of the series. We're just going to throw that in so that we can add on a little extra. It's in the area of my specialty. We're going to spend time right after lunch, probably a couple of hours. We're going to dig deeper into how should we practically apply the Word of God. The area of ethics, very, very controversial area. But you know what, folks? It's called how to grow once we've been, ex- we've been brought in by the grace of God. We're going to talk about growing this afternoon. Quick review. Some of you have not been with us. By the way, let me see the hands of all those who've been to at least one meeting. I want to see, get an idea. Raise them quickly. Okay, that's like 98%. But we have some people who are new here. So let's do a quick review. This, by the way, this very week, I happen to be reading. I'm doing my personal devotions. I came to Numbers chapter 33. And it said, the Israelites went by stages. And they said they went from here to there, from here to there. And so this is what we're going to do right here. Let the Lord be the love of your life was our first message. By the way, if you want to read them with me, you're welcome to do that. We dealt with the love of God. It happened to be Valentine's Day that day. And so we talked about the virtuous Valentine. God is that virtuous Valentine. And so this was the key concept. Say it with me. Oh, let the Lord be the love of your life. Let's go to number two. That's the day we dealt with communicating in code. We studied the issue of the Bible and we came up with this one. The key to the code is to read and heed. We moved on then to the next one. I called it the trip into the Trinity. And that's where we said to know God, don't say no to God. The fourth one, a ransom for a rebel. We dealt with the whole concept of justification. And what did we say? Let Christ in and he'll cleanse you from sin. Number five, we went to belonging and be living. And we said, give God your best. He'll take care of the rest. Number six, we talked about baptism, miracle makeover. And we said, to make a new start, give God your whole heart. Then we talked about sanctification, called living it up for the Lord. And we said, grow in the Lord by the light of His Word. Our second seven parts, we started with quarantine, the quarantine guarantee. We talked about the Ten Commandments, especially the issue of the Seventh-day Sabbath. And we said, saved by grace, we love to live God's law. Then we moved on to talking about the, in, the judgment, but more importantly, looking at Jesus Christ, his, sanct, his ministry in the sanctuary, and we said, Christ died for sin and now serves as our priest. We move into the era of spiritual gifts, and we concluded, what? God's gifts are for growth and to share his love. Next, we moved into the area of health and standards, secrets of centenarians, and we said, my way of life should bring souls to Christ. We moved into the area of the contentious issue of life after death and spirits and those things, and we said, the dead rest in the grave till they are raised. And finally, last night, the ultimate Thanksgiving, we talked about the second coming, and we said, Christ will come back, so let's live right on track. A quick overview of the stages in our journey the past two and a half weeks. 
But you know the journey's not, in, not complete. There's a story of a man. He was traveling. Not traveling. He, was, he came from Tanzania, 7,000 miles to Mexico City. And there he was in 1968. Anybody remember 1968, Mexico City? The Olympic Games. And uh, 7 p.m., the last day of the Olympic Games, October 20, a few thousand people were left in the stands waiting for the last runner to come in around 7 o'clock that night. And there he came, stumbling in. He'd fallen. He was bloodied with a bandage wrapped around his knee. But he was still coming in. And he finished his 26 miles and 385 yards. And the people who were in the stands gave him a standing ovation. The last runner in. Afterwards, somebody came up to him and said, why, why didn't he just quit? And this was his reply. My country, Tanzania, did not send me 7,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 7,000 miles to finish it. And I pray that the Lord will bless us as we finish our series here today. You will go with us on our last step, the last stage of our race here. Today, we're going to reflect and before we open the Word of God, let us pray. Holy Father, final stage of our journey in the journal of Jesus, I pray that you'll bless us now. Open our minds and Lord, touch our hearts as we spend just a few more moments digging into your Holy Word so that we can see and better reflect Jesus Christ, the living Word. In his name we pray. Amen. had the privilege not too long ago, actually just in, the, uh, in my off time in the last couple of weeks, my wife sent a book along and I began to read it. And it's one of those fascinating books. Once you start reading it, it's hard to put it down. So I had some rather early mornings. You know what I'm talking about? I read because I realized that I wanted to use that book right here. I want to show you the cover right here. It says, 102 minutes, the untold story of the fight to survive inside the Twin Towers. And we got the paperback. It's much cheaper, okay? It was on the New York Times bestseller list. And so I read this book through in about three, I was going to say sittings. I was lying in bed. Okay, and what an interesting, intriguing, but devastating critique of what really happened. So are you ready for the bad news as well as the good news? There were heroes there. I'm not going to spend too much time on the incredible people who came in and lost their lives self-sacrificially. But did you know this, folks? Before we even get to some of the too far into the pictures, stop right there with those pictures. Did you know that? Those twin towers, the medical examiner's report says there were 2,749 people who died in the attacks on New York. Of these, 147 were passengers and crew members. Count quick, quickly here. Tell me how many I come up with. 410 others were the rescuers who died. Okay, that's 500 and what? 59? And of no more, 559, no more than 600 were on the floors where the planes hit. Add them up. 1,000, 100, and about 60. But how many people died? 2,749. What happened? Why did more than 1,500 other people die? And guess what? They were not all above the, uh, uh, blocked off that they couldn't get down. Incredible story. Because there were some people, at least 18 people, who were above the impact on the South Tower. 
That's the second plane. We've got a picture that comes up right here. Okay, the second plane hit. There were people above that. That's the picture of the second plane on impact. Devastating picture. We'll never forget those images. There were people above that. How did they survive? What happened? We'll keep that picture right there. Okay, what happened? What happened? There was, believe it or not, one stairwell that was available. Yes. But there were people that never came down. Only 18 came down that stairwell. There's an estimated, what, 600 people above it who never came down that stairwell. There was a way of escape, folks. And what is worse news is what happened. Devastating information in this book. I read it through. I'm not going to spend too much time here. By the way, there was a warning before the South Tower fell. That's the one that was hit last but fell first. Some of you might recall. It was 57 minutes before it collapsed. There was a warning. John Perugia. Fire department delegate heard what was happening. He couldn't believe it. He, but he couldn't dismiss what he thought he heard. An engineer of the Department of Buildings was in the South Tower when he saw structural problems happening. And he sent the word down, Perugia Submarine and EMT, Rich Zerillo, who was working as his, as his aide. And he said, go immediately to the World Trade Center and report to Chief Gansey. Only to Chief Gansey, tell him that the building, the integrity of the building has been severely compromised and they believe the building is in danger of imminent collapse. The bad news, folks, Perugia could not communicate with the chief by radio. He didn't have it. The emergency operations center had been shut down for fears that terrorists would fly a third plane into it. So they shut that down. The expensive 800 megahertz interagency radios that they had were all in the trunks of their cars, unused. Because no one with clout in the city government ever got around to pressing the issue to get them to use it. It was in the cars. Perugia himself was not carrying a fire ground radio that morning because his ordinary assignment didn't call for it. The world capital of communications, New York City, Okay, In that capital, he had only one way to get the engineer's assessment to the chief of the fire department. How was that? To send a messenger by foot, dodging across flaming debris and falling bodies. He would have to go in person to warn him. That message came probably 10 to 20 minutes before the South Tower collapsed. Lots of time was wasted. He rushed over this young man. Zerillo hurried over to give the news to the chief. He got there and he told the assistant to the chief. The chief turned to his boss and said, Chief, the buildings are in imminent danger of collapse. Gansey looked stunned. Who would tell you something like that? Gansey had spent 33 years in the fire department. And as chief, he knew full well that skyscrapers do not collapse from, uh, from less than an hour of fire. And so... His assistant said, Richie here, the EMT, come over here, Richie, and tell the chief what you just told me. Precious minutes had been lost. Firefighters were up in the tower and all kinds of things. And he came over and he told them. But folks, unfortunately, by the time Gansey just heard the news about the imminent collapse, a gathering rumble filled the air and the South Tower collapsed. 15 to 20 minutes were lost because they did not have the communication equipment. Lives could have been saved. The rescue workers at least could have gotten out. At least those they might have been able to communicate with. That was the South Tower. After it collapsed, guess what? They tried to warn the people in the North Tower. There were helicopters flying overhead and they kept watching. They kept sending news. Yes, hey, 
it, it looks like it's going to collapse as well. It begins, it's beginning to lean, send the word in. And there were people who got the word, sergeants who got the word, they were up on the 19th, they were coming down and they stopped on the 19th floor of the North Tower. And as they walked in, let me tell you here, they looked around, they could scarcely believe their eyes. These three New York City um, officials, court officials, one was a sergeant, two sergeants, one captain. The 19th floor of the North Tower, after the South Tower had collapsed, the 19th floor was just as full as it had been when they came up, they'd gone up, still packed with firefighters from end to end of the hallway and down the corridors, corridors so tight it would be tough to find a place to squeeze in along the wall with them. The place was carpeted with firefighters. Most were sitting, had stripped off their turncoats, turnout coats, helmets off. Some were down to blue t-shirts, maps of sweat blotting their fabric emblazoned with a fire department shield. Wender, one of these sergeants, looked, saw that they were lying down. Axes leaning against the wall, legs stretched out, arms resting against oxygen tanks. They could not be hearing what Sergeant Wender, Andrew Wender thought. What, what, what's happening? Two others came along, Bacilleri and Moscala, uh, Moscola took in the scene. They guessed there were at least a hundred firefighters relaxing on the 19th floor of the North Tower that was beginning to collapse. Captain Joseph Bacilleri yelled, We're getting out of here. We've been told we've got to get out of the building. No one moved. We'll come down in a few minutes, someone said. But all the rescue workers, but all the rescue workers are bailing out, the court officers said. Yeah, all right, we'll be right there, another firefighter replied. They ignored the warning. It's estimated that a hundred firefighters aware of the warning, simply were catching their breath, relaxing, ignored the warnings of imminent collapse, and they perished totally unnecessarily. As I read this story, it's a heart-rending story, folks. It's a heart-rending story, not just of those firefighters out there. It's a heart-rending story about us right here. Are we... Am I, are you, sitting, relaxing in a burning building that is in imminent danger of collapse? The warnings are coming and we're saying, it's okay, we'll be right down there. Don't worry about us, we'll be okay. We know we're fine. Wow. At least a hundred lost their lives. What a sad story. Turn in your Bibles. Let's look at the warning message that we have for today, we're going to go very rapidly. The story hurts the heart, I know. It's an aching story. Lives lost unnecessarily. To say nothing of hundreds who were above the flames, only 18 came down through that one stairwell that they knew about. And the word didn't get out to at least 600 other people who could have come down that stairwell. 600 went up instead of coming down through a stairwell. Hundreds of lives were lost because they did not know the, ray, the route to escape. And a hundred firefighters, they lost their lives because they ignored the warnings. Ignorance and arrogance are the two greatest dangers we face. Did you hear what I just said? Ignorance and what? Arrogance. And sometimes we put them together and I call that igno-arrogance. 
when we know little or nothing and we think we know a lot and we're proud of our ignorance. Dangerous, folks. The story, 102 minutes, is a story of ignorance and arrogance for some. I've only told you the bad news. There are wonderful other stories, but for today's, for today's message, I had to share that with you. I had to share that with you. Incredible, sad, heart-rending story of ignorance and arrogance. Let's go to that important story, Revelation chapter 14. The context, look at chapter 14, verse 14. It's easy to remember for the context, 14, 14, from 14 onwards, 17, 18, 19 through 20. It shows us it's the context of the end of the world. So, 14, we're going to look at 3, 6 through 12. You've already read it as part of your scripture reading, so we're going to breeze through this at the rapid pace of people on a mission, people urgent. Okay, let's move quickly here. Chapter 14, verse 6, reading from the New King James Version. Then I saw, John speaking, another angel, a messenger of God, flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, the good news, by the way, we'll come back to that, to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a megaphone, remember that? With a loud voice, so everybody can hear. What does he say? Fear God. We stopped there and we said, what does that mean? Take God seriously. Have that incredible awe and respect for this great, mighty God that we serve. Fear, not, not, don't be afraid of God. Again, to quote my friend Dwight Nelson, my fellow pastor in the Mission Conference, I love his little saying, don't be afraid of God, be a friend of God. You want to say that with me? Don't be afraid of God. Be a friend of God. That's right. That is it. Right here. Be a friend of God. Respect Him. Have great awe. Take God seriously. Right. Fear God and do what? And give glory to Him. We want to stop right there. Hold your hand here. Let's go quickly to Matthew chapter 5, the words of Jesus. That famous, incredibly beautiful sermon on the mount. Beautiful sermon. The Beatitudes, you know the passages so well. Go to Matthew chapter 5 or 16. We'll come right back to Revelation in a moment. But I love to always go and look at the words of the Master when He was right here among us. Yes, the whole Bible points to Jesus. The Bible tells us about Jesus. But I always like to go to where He was and how He ministered right here on planet Earth in person. Matthew chapter 5 verse 16. I love that verse. It's beautifully put in context. What does it say? Let your light so shine before men. Oh, you mean we must show off? No, no, no. Look at the rest. Why? That they may see your good works. Oh, yes. The Christian is called upon to have good works. For what purpose? Notice. That's right. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's the key, folks. We must have the good works. Remember, I've talked about that. We have faith that has fruit. We are saved by grace, so we grow. We talked about that. We love God, so we are loyal to Him. And I came up with a little phrase I told you about. We are not loyalists, we are not legalists, but we are loyalists. And I told you there were only two letters that people got mixed up with, and that's the O and the Y. They thought it was an E and a G because they look similar. Remember that? Loyalists, legalists, those two letters can be confusing. So we must be loyalists. 
Okay, let's look at one more quick passage, and that is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We talked about it in depth, but just to remember, remind you, this is a practical matter. We talk about give glory to God, but how do we do it? We do it in a very practical way, in the way we let our lights shine before men. Here it comes to what we call brass tacks, where the rubber meets the road. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Paul speaking, Therefore, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, Whether you eat, or drink, or whatever you do, do what? Do all to the glory of God. There's that A-L-L. You get that? Simple, small English word, do all. Not 90%, not 99%, not 99.9%. And you know, i got to share a quick story here. I just came to mind. I lived and worked in South Korea as a student missionary many years ago. And I'll never forget some of the sad stories. I just read one recently again of they have what they call on-doll heating floors. It's a charcoal fire that they light and it sends the heat under the floors. But if that floor is not completely sealed 100%, guess what happens in too many homes at night? While you're sleeping warm and cozy, 99.9% of the floor is sealed, but 0.1% has a hole. What happens? carbon monoxide poisoning, and too many people have died peacefully, if I may say, not aware, because it was not 100% perfect. When we talk about giving all, it's not 99.9%, because that 0.1% can be the death of you. Here it says, give all to the glory of God. Let's go back to the book of Revelation, picking up again, Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. The beautiful message, that first one, and says, give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come, has come, and worship Him. Notice, there were four elements in that first message. It talks about fear God, respect Him. Number two, give glory to Him. Number three, his, the hour of His judgment has come. The word Christus, that judgment concept, an ongoing judgment there. And number four, and worship Him. Worship whom? The one who made heaven and earth. And it takes us right back to the Ten Commandments. There's that commandment in the heart of the law that says, remember the Sabbath day because God created the heavens and the earth. Fascinating. Right here is a reminder of the Ten Commandments and an emphasis on the God who created us and set aside that special day. Right here in the first commandment, uh, in this first Angel's message, sorry. You know what I call this? I call this the call to consecration. I've got three C's I want to, to put to these messages. The first angel's message, I call it a call to consecration. God is calling us to, to be totally, 100% committed to Him. Let's go into the second one. Okay, picking up now from the next verse. Verse 8. <clears throat> first, uh, this is Revelation chapter 14. Moving now. And another angel followed them saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Babylon is fallen. Keep your hand here. Go quickly on to chapter 18. I want to pick up there because here's another angel, sometimes called maybe the fourth angel by some. Revelation 18, verse 1. After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, there it is again, megaphone, that megaphone saying what? 
Babylon has fallen. Same words, right? Babylon has fallen, is fallen, and has become a demon, a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich with the abundance of her luxury. You say, what is this message all about? You have to study deeply into the scriptures, a beautiful message of God calling people out. Babylon, as you might remember, goes right way back to Genesis 11, where the Tower of Babel is mentioned. And if you read the footnotes in the Bible, it will say, here was the city of Babylon, the beginnings of that, correctly so. Babylon became synonymous with confusion and essentially with doing things our own way, in simple terms, legalism and righteousness by works. We can save ourselves. Let's build this tower up into the heavens. Implication, if another flood comes, we'll be safe. We will not drown. Okay, here it is, Babylon. Be careful. It's a system going its own way. And here, what is the angel saying? Come out. Look at verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, so here's another voice. Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins. There it is. All of these things are her sins. And lest you receive of her plagues. So the second angel's message essentially ends up with a call, I call it a call to recognize the problem, and here, expanded in verse chapter 18, come out. My second C is a call to conversion. A call to step out, to come out of the confusion, to be aware that there are sometimes some places where the Bible is not being proclaimed. The Word of God is not the foundation. The Word of God is not the basis of the belief. So make sure you are listening, digging deeply into the Word, and come out where and when God calls you to be faithful to His Holy Word. Let's run on to number three here, the third angel's message back in Revelation chapter 14. Because we want to come to what I call the heart of the matter. The title for today's sermon is The Cardiology cardiology of Commitment, The Heart of the Matter. Let's move on now. And the third angel, Revelation 14 verse 9. And the third angel, you've heard this already, you've done it in your scripture reading, followed them saying again with a megaphone, loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or in his hand, he shall, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, same phrase used as before, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their uh, torment ascends forever and ever. They have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Dreadful words, scary words. By the way, we've already dealt with some of these concepts. The word forever, I mentioned more than 50 times in the Bible. If you read the context, it has a limited application in a specific way. And if you want to listen more to that, if you can't have the chance, listen, download it from the web or get a CD. You can hear more about some of these biblical concepts. We must take them in context, as I mentioned before. You're standing in the checkout line and the person takes five minutes to find their change and you say, man, I've been standing here forever. Five minutes. Okay. We use it in different ways. Okay. But in the Bible, it is used in specific ways. We look at the context. We don't want to spend time in that area. But here's the call. What is it? It's a caution, folks, because not only do we serve a merciful God, we also serve a just God. And I'm glad for that. I found it interesting. All of us love justice when it's in our favor. Isn't that right? I want justice. Okay. I don't hear people saying it when they haven't found speeding 90 miles an hour in a 50 mile per hour zone. Have you ever said that? 
<laughs> no, we don't want justice. We want what? Mercy. <laughs> okay. We're interesting creatures, aren't we? We want justice when it's in our favor. But you see, we serve a God who puts these two together properly. That's the third C. What is the first, first one? The first angel message was what? A call to? Consecration. Consecration. The second one is a call to? Conversion. The third one, folks, is a caution about condemnation. We can choose to be on that side, or we can come out. Beautiful message, a God of mercy and a God of justice. And already we've looked at briefly chapter 12, verse 7, but I want to move on quickly. Let's look for a few moments right here. Chapter, the next verse, chapter 14, verse 12, and we'll connect it with 12, 17, because here is the key point. Here is the patience of whom? The saints. You know what that means sometimes? Take it literally. Hey, if you don't have patience, folks, we might not be there yet. But the Lord is working on our hearts, sanctifying us, making us into saints. The patience of the saints. Here are those who do what? Keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Again, those two things go hand in hand. The faith with the fruits. That's right. Okay? The, keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. And we looked already briefly at verse 17 of chapter 12. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, chapter 12, verse 17, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Beautiful uh, truths here. In these two passages, you can unlock and find more information. Incidentally, I just brought a book. This is on the level of the layperson. Clifford Goldstein, about a decade ago, wrote a little book, The Remnant. And now, as you heard in our introduction here, uh, Dr. Leslie Pollard has done his dissertation and dug really deep. If you're patient, wait till that is published. In the meantime, here is something on the lay level. And as I read this myself a few years ago, I was blessed. And I challenge you to read material that will show us some of the beauties of the scriptures. But let's be practical here. Go to Matthew chapter, 20, chapter 7. Again, the words of Jesus in that famous Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7. Let's go back to the words of our Savior in his ministry here on earth. Because I mentioned here, we have the two aspects, the commandments of God, the faith of Jesus. These two are working here together. It's faith at work or a faith that works. Now here Jesus makes it plain. Look at it, Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord... Okay, not just people who call me by name shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but who? But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. In other words, it's a practical experience. I remember talking and sharing once a message saying, you know, it's important to have a personal relationship, right? But you must make sure that your personal relationship is a practical religious experience. You know, sometimes there's a danger. Let me see how many hands of you, hands here. How many of you have seen or remember what an old pressure cooker is? Raise them high. Then I can talk intelligently here. Oh, only about 60%. The rest of you, ask your friends, okay? This is in the dark ages. We had these pressure cookers. It's a kind of a thick pot. And you can put beans in it and you seal it, you know, and you put it on a stove. You know, the stove is a thing of the past too. Nowadays we have microwaves and so forth. But we used to put them on and we could cook beans and so forth much faster. Okay, here's the question. A friend comes to you, who had a pressure cooker here? Okay, and says, yes, Robin, uh, could I borrow your pressure cooker? And Robin says, oh, well, you know, 
I, I've got it here. I haven't used it for a couple of years. And I, let me find it. And Chief Robin finds it. And what? She says, you know, that I just remembered. Oh, my, my kid uh, used the, 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 the lid and, and, and got it broken. You're welcome to use my pressure cooker, but I don't have a lid. <laughs> Question, folks. What is a pressure cooker without a lid? A regular old pot. You got it. That's exactly right. Okay, let's call a pot by its right name. <laughs> All right, here it is. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, who calls me, oh yes, I, 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 he's my Savior, but here's the question. Is he your Lord? Is he master of your life? Is he leading you, helping you to walk by faith, not by sight, trusting him? And he goes down then, sadly, to verse 23, and I will declare to them, I never, what? I never knew you. In simple terms, you claimed to know me, but we never had a personal relationship. Uh -uh. It was just a pressure cooker without a lid, folks. That's what it was. Yes, you called yourself a Christian. You didn't live that way. Jesus says, you call me Lord, Lord, but in reality, you didn't have a personal living relationship with me. I'm going to challenge you here today. If you realize you're a pressure cooker without a lid on. Guess what? There's good news. Even if your kid broke the lid, Jesus can and will create a new lid for you so that you can be the pressure cooker that produces the fruits, results of what you should be. The Lord can do that. And I want to challenge you. I know there are many here who are students. You've heard of, you've been involved with a group and encouraging one another in a group called Advent Hope. There's a group on campus because you see, I know and you know the Lord has given me so many blessings to be here to get to know so many of you. I've had the privilege of sharing God's Word in the series of Restoration 2006 called Prepare Me. But you know what happens? This is always a danger. We go to wonderful meetings that we've been blessed by the Lord and then we're up on a high the Mount Carmel experience and where do we end up when Jezebel gets angry with us? Down in the dumps like Elijah saying, Lord, my life is not worth living. Take it. What are you doing here, Elijah? Go and read 1 Kings 18, 19, 20 at home. That's the danger. We have this Mount Carmel experience. We've got to make sure we find and Get a community of people, join them, get involved in digging into the Word. Find a group. That's why I'm su suggesting Advent Hope for the young people here. If you have a church, get involved. Dig into the Word. Study. Learn to know the Lord. Find a buddy who you can be accountable to, who can check on you and say, Have you been spending your time in the Word? Have you been spending your time on your knees? And you can uh, make sure they are accountable. Find people that will help you to walk the Christian walk. Because you know what, folks? When you have this mountaintop experience, the devil makes sure that he will bring along a Jezebel to tempt you, to test you, to try you, so that you will lose your way unless you are walking faithfully with the Lord and you have a community that can help you. That even makes it easier. So that's my encouragement. Make sure that you don't lose this mountaintop experience that we've been feasting and enjoying. Let's be practical. The heart. Well, well, let me share with you my dear wife, Linda. And you know, it's kind of interesting. We were just friends for a couple of months when she already began to notice. This is going back some years now, okay? When she noticed that I lacked something, which I still lack, okay? 
But what did I lack? I came from South Africa where they, you put on clothes. It doesn't matter what it looks like. I mean, as long as it, it is modest, it is decent. I had no concept of color matching. Any tie will go, will do. I mean, and I remember my students in Korea, they were either being gracious or they didn't know any different. But when I had the most mixed match stuff, the most garish tie, they always said, Oh, teacher, I love your tie. <laughs> and I remember when it turned, I turned, I turned a certain year, it was my birthday. I'd barely known Linda for two months as just a friend. We were kind of a good friend, brother-sister relationship. She and another friend from Andrews University were student missionaries in South Korea, snuck into my room without my permission, and they put tags on all my clothes as a birthday, birthday gift. This goes with that, that goes with that, that. <laughs> friends, huh? With friends like these, who needs enemies? <laughs> it worked, but it only lasted until I put it into the laundry. <laughs> And then I was back to my old ways. But you know what? I praise God that that lady knew I needed permanent help. <laughs> and so when I said to her, Linda, I want to be your friend forever, she turned to me and she said, Ditto. <laughs> that was it. That was my proposal. That was our acceptance. And you know what? <laughs> to this day, when I go to conferences, Every shirt pocket, now this one is the only one that doesn't have a shirt, these modern shirts. Every shirt pocket has a little thing in. If I pull it out, you see the top? It looks like the top of the Ten Commandments. Do you see that? Okay. You know those, look at that. You see that little thing? I put this in my coat pocket today. It looks like the top of the Ten Commandments. And guess what's on the back? Everything I'm supposed to wear today. <laughs> Minutely detailed. The reason being, now think about it seriously and think about the theological, biblical implications of my dear wife's wonderful modern day parable. You see, where I go, what I wear, how I look, is a reflection on my wife with whom I have a covenant relationship. Yeah? Let's get serious here. Okay? Everything I do reflects on the one I am married to. So guess what I do every day? I pull out my little Ten Commandments. <laughs> but you know what's nice about it? The bottom is pulled together and look what it looks like. Ah, yeah, you're wrong. It's not the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Absolutely wrong. It's in the shape of a heart. That's right. God's law is a law of what? Love. Law of love. Too many times we only pull the top out and we say, uh oh, I'm not going to do that. No way. God wants to tell me what to do. Who does he think he is? Forget it, folks. If you have a covenant relationship with your maker, you will pull out the Ten Commandments, if you think it is, until you see the bottom. And on that, you'll see it is his law of love. He loves us. Let me read to you. This was yesterday. Okay. And I brought yesterday's one because it was funny. And you know, God also has a sense of humor sometimes. People say that, and it's true. God loves joy. My wife for Friday says, shirt, green, and blue, striped. And then she actually draws the stripes. <laughs> it's this way, honey. No, that way. That way you look like you come from the penitentiary. But anyway. <laughs> she got it here. Then she carries on green pants, letter F. Now she's got my clothes tag. I have two green pants. I'd probably choose the wrong one anyway. <laughs> Green pants with a big letter F. She carries on green and blue tie and she draws it for me. I'm serious, she does. 
sports coat, greenish-brown, dark greenish socks, honey, and black belt. She's got them all. She knows I only have black shoes, thankfully. I do have a pair of tennis shoes, you know, that I wear when I go exercise. She doesn't put that on because she knows I know at least that much. <laughs> now, my, that's not the end of the story. And you can come and read this. This was last night. And if anybody looked at me last night, you notice I didn't look like I was mismatched. Okay, that's it. And if I follow it, and you see, this is the thing about God. Because He loves us, for some of us, we need minute directions in life. We desperately need it. If we don't find, follow the directions for our lives, we will make our Lord, the one who has the covenant marriage relationship with us, we will make Him look bad. People will say, you're kidding. That's a Christian. He claims to love the Lord. Forget it. They look, they act so horribly, I would have nothing to do with the person they say they're in love with. Mm-hmm. Think about that. And on the back, hi, greeny. <laughs> Reminder, you know, okay. Hi, greeny. You're no meanie. <laughs> she knows I am wearing what she set out for me to do. Finally, and I love you so. I praise God for a wife who is out to make sure that I look the best in every way. Okay? I praise God for giving us His love letter. It's there, folks. It's in my shirt pocket every day, close to my heart. Every day. Every day. I have a choice. I can throw it out. I can ignore the note. But guess what? If I do so, what happens? I don't have to say anymore. A few words. I'm so, I'll still be married. Yes, I'll still be married. But I would have disappointed the one who I have a covenant relationship with. And if I continue ignoring her love, her concern, it will go from the small things to the bigger things. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Jesus says, He who is faithful in what? In that which is least, is faithful also in what? In much. Write it down. Don't forget this. Just write it down. There's not time to go to it. Jeremiah 17 verse 19 says, The heart is what? Deceitful above all things and what? Desperately wicked. And in my case, my heart is desperately stupid. And so I need my wife to help me. Okay? In this area. Our hearts are wicked, folks. But look at Ezekiel 36, 26. Turn to that quickly. This is the promise from God. Yes, here is God's promise. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. Beautiful promise from God. And of course, I'm going to share with you a final story. Ezekiel Chapter 36, let's go quickly to verse 26. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. What does God promise us right here? Beautiful passage. We know our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So what does God say? I will give you what? A new heart. And what? Put a new spirit within you. I will... Take the heart of stone out of your f flesh and give you a what? 
a heart of flesh. Yes, that is God's offer, folks. That is what He wants to do for us. And not only that, He doesn't just want to do that. He asks us. He wants us. He says, let's go to Deuteronomy. That, uh, just another passage here quickly. Deuteronomy, there He says, I will do that for you. And Deuteronomy, this is God's desire. Deuteronomy chapter six, uh, chapter 5, rather. Deuteronomy 5 comes right, that, this passage, verse 29, comes right after the giving of the Ten Commandments, the reiteration, the repeating of the law. Here is Moses sharing that uh, re- reminder to them of God's law. Okay, look what he says. He says here, talking, God speaking. 20, uh, chapter 5, verse 29. Oh, that they had such a what? A heart in them. That's what God says. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me, reverence me, and always keep what? All my commandments that it may go well with their children forever. There it is. God looks at the heart. He wants us to have that heart. He's offering us the new heart. And it's interesting because right after that, chapter 6, verse 5, we'll rush on there because here, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength. And who quoted that verse when he was tempted by the devil? Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Right. Jesus is quoting. The important thing is the heart, folks. A story I will never forget. Because it happened to me. October 3, 2004, I was down at Southern Avenue University. I'm, I'm pastoring in Michigan, the Michigan Conference, yes. And I went down there. I, I tried to do this, put two things together. I went down there at the right time. I was down there uh, coordinating, working with the faculty of the School of Religion. We were putting together a book. I was the main editor for a, a volume we were producing that I was hope, we were hoping to get out by the end of the month. By October 20 or so, we had a little time left. So I was down there for three or four days. But I made sure it coincided with something fun as well. The Southern Kohada Springs Triathlon. So I said, yeah, let's you know, do two things at the same time. So on Sunday, I went out there to that Lake Kohada Springs. And we jumped into the water in the afternoon. And we swam a half a mile. And finish the half mile swim. You come out of the water and you run if you can. If you're not dizzy from the swim. I was dizzy. I hobbled onto my bicycle. And as I hobbled onto the bicycle, maybe 50 yards away, hundreds of bicycles there. People, several of them were on their way already. Many of them were already gone by that time. And I heard, and I thought, "Uh uh-oh, somebody's tube just exploded. Too bad. And I hurried over to my to my bicycle, and I grabbed the bike and pulled it out, and I was trying to move it, and it wouldn't move. And I looked, guess whose tube had exploded? <laughs> it was mine. I had pumped it up in the morning. It got hot, one of those nice hot days, and what happens with, when it gets hot? It expanded and expanded. I had pumped the tire too hard, and the black back tube had just... And it was my tube that had exploded. And here, and I say this with shame, yes, because I should have said, does anybody need help? No, no, folks. I was so fixated on my own race. I ignored the person who needed help. And that person turned out to be who? The Lord has a lot to teach us, even if you're a pastor. And here I was, oh, what do I do now? I pushed the bike back in, and the moment I was just seeing that my bike wouldn't go, there was a stranger standing a distance away, 
six foot six, and I heard a voice that says, Hey, do you need a tube? And the barely said, Yes, and a tube came flying through the air. A stranger helping me. And then he came closer and he said, Hey, hey, do you have a pump? I said, Yes, it's in my car. He said, Here, here's a pump. Hey, do you have tools? I said, Yes, it's in my car. He said, Here they are. He said, Now, I'm not allowed to help you. I'm not allowed. Here's the actual box. Came flying through the air. He said, I'm not allowed to help you, but I can tell you what to do. If I help you in person, they'll disqualify you. I said, Fine, tell me. He said, have you fixed, fixed it? Yes, I said, I have. He said, but let me show you how. Let me tell you how. And I listened to his instructions and he told me. And within a few minutes, I got the back tire off. I got the tire changed with a new tube inside. And then with a the pump, I quickly, and I was on the bike. And as I got out of the stands there, one of the guys said to me, go for it, Ron. And he encouraged me. And I got on the bike and I started cycling my heart out. Only because of the kindness of a stranger. Okay? I could have pulled the bike out and said, I'm going to cycle on it with a flat tire. I could have. But guess what, folks? My tire was, my tube had been burst. I couldn't really make any progress. And this person, the stranger, gave me a tube. And then gave me a pump to pump that up. And I was on my way. And I cycled my best. I came back at the end of the race and I began to look for the stranger. And I took my tube that was broken and I took it and I slung it around my neck. And I walked all over looking for the stranger. Now I had asked his name beforehand. I said, what's your name? As I was leaving. Paul, he said to me. And when I came back, I looked for him for one hour, one and a half hours, two hours. Where was Paul? No, he wasn't an angel. He could have been one. And by that time, they began to read the results of the race. So-and-so, 40 to 45, you know, 40, 40 to 49, whatever. They went through the things. 50 to 59, second place. Third place, second place. First place, age category, 50 to 59. Ron Dupre. I said, What? I grabbed the trophy, I grabbed the trophy, and I began to look for Paul. I looked for Paul. Had it not been for the grace of a stranger, folks, had it not been for Paul's kindness, had he not given me a new tube, had he not given me a pump to pump up that tube, I would not have had a trophy I did not deserve. When I think of that race that I did, and then I found him. I did. I located Paul two hours afterwards, hunting for him. I came up to Paul, and I said, Paul, listen, man, thank you so much for this tube. If it weren't for your gift, or rather, if it weren't for your kindness, I wouldn't have this tube. And I said to him, look, how much do I owe you for the tube? So typical of us. How much do I owe you? He turned to me and said, Ron, it was a gift. It was a gift. Wow. We want to pay God for His grace. I said, thank you, Paul. This you deserve. My brother, my sister, God offers you a brand new heart. Yes, I know some of us Our hearts have been broken. 
We cannot cycle. We cannot do the race unless we have a new heart. And you know what he promises? A new heart will I put within you and a new spirit. Yes, I could have had a new tire, a new tube. I didn't, if I didn't have it filled with air, the spirit has to go in there. The heart, and it says in Ezekiel, I'll give you a new heart and I will give you a new spirit. Without those two things listed there, I couldn't have cycled that race. I couldn't have finished the run following that. Without that. And you know what, folks? When we get to the new earth, to, the, to heaven eventually, and we get there to the kingdom, we will take our trophies and cast them at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, if it weren't for your grace, I wouldn't be here today. Only because of you, Jesus. You promised, you gave me a new heart, you sent your Holy Spirit, and because of that, the empowering grace, the encouragement of the angels, ministering spirits around us, only because of that, because of the faith of Jesus, because of remaining faithful, doing our faithful part, cycling down the road, running the race, is let's go to the book of Hebrews to look at that last beautiful passage. Hebrews chapter 12, my friend. It is only through Jesus. And I'm going to read to you from a modern translation. Hebrews chapter 12. Because it is only God's grace. I didn't deserve that trophy at all had it not been for the grace of a stranger named Paul. I would not have been there. My Bible puts it this way. Listen carefully. If you go to the King James or New King James, it's yes, I will read it from there. And then I'm going to ask you to just listen. But the first time, let's read it. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, right? let us lay aside every weight. That's crucial, folks. Lay aside. Throw out the idols. Destroy them. Get rid of anything that is going to weigh you down. Lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the rate that is set before us, looking unto whom? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Yes, listen now. I'll read it to you. I love the way this translation. Just listen for a moment. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this, how? By keeping our eyes on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from start to finish. And I want to challenge you today, my brother, my sister. I want to call for serious commitment without the grace of God we wouldn't be here today. We have deacons who are right now going to hand out to you some pieces of paper right here, right now. Our pianist will play for us as we reflect a few moments. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. Just a hymn to remind us that it is only because of Christ. And I've got two specific calls. We're going to make the calls. I want you to look at this. We want to ask you right now, as the pianist plays a hymn, just to reflect. She plays that quietly. I want you to right now, first thing, put your name down, an email or phone number. Then I'll tell you what I'm going to invite you to do. Our last moments together here. Reflect on these.
you were having a moment to look at what's on our card there. Our card, so go ahead and first put your name down. I'm asking you to do that first, and then I will make specific appeals. Put your name, your last name, phone number, email, so you can be contacted. Our purpose in the team of restoration, we're going to get in touch with you, encourage you, pray with you, find ways to help you on your walk with the Lord. Everybody's received one by now. Two main appeals I'm going to make today. My first one will be, we will sing one stanza of the hymn of commitment. And after one stanza, I'm going to make one appeal. And then we will move to our next appeal. There will be two appeals here today. Have you had a chance to write your name, phone number down? Maybe email address. Let's play through one more time. I'm going to give you an opportunity to get that, those details down. And then we will call... The Lord is calling us to draw nearer. Many of you have come forward to make a personal recommitment to the Lord. By God's grace, you've written it on here. If you want to also check on here, I want to have Bible studies. I want to join a group. You can check that off. Some of you who might still be wrestling with a decision, we're going to pray for the Lord to work further on your hearts. If you feel impressed, even during the prayer, you're welcome to come down and join us. For the pure delight of a single hour with our Lord. Let's bow our heads here. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for offering us, giving us a brand new heart. Your grace alone, giving us the Spirit to fill us so that we can ride and run successfully the Christian race. Lord, bless us. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from start to finish. So many hearts are making a recommitment, Lord, giving ourselves totally and completely to You. We want to live for You moment by moment as loyalists, not as legalists. May the love of Jesus Christ shine through us every moment of every day so that others will be attracted to the matchless charms of Jesus Christ, our Savior. To Him be glory, both now and forevermore. Amen.